Today we're going to be talking about who I am. And um, who am I? <laughs> Socrates said, uh, know thyself. And uh, I think that is so very, very important. To know thyself. Because I think personally, I think life depends on knowing ourselves. I mean, we're not just talking about uh, our favorite color, our favorite uh, flavor. We're talking about at the core of your being, at the very core of your being, uh, knowing who you are, identifying your strengths, your, your weaknesses, your fears, your beliefs, your values, your, your worth, your purpose, your mission in life. Now, most people know their strengths and weaknesses. I mean, I'm sure that all of us have been to um, an interview at some point in our life, and the person interviewing us said, well, tell me a little bit about your strengths or or your, your weaknesses. Um, and, and they might know that. I know what my strengths, I know what my weaknesses are. They might know their fears, they might know their, what they value. But I have found people to really struggle with the idea of what they believe in. Even Christians struggle with this and are unable to define exactly what they believe. And especially, they, they, have, they, they, they have a misunderstanding of their worth and their purpose and their mission in life. In fact, the word clueless <laughs> comes to mind uh, when, it, when it comes to somebody's worth or purpose or mission. But look what the, look what the scriptures say in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's what? Masterpiece. We are God's what? Masterpiece. That is, you know, some, some uh, translations say God's workmanship. I love this word, masterpiece, because that is exactly what you are. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You are God's masterpiece. That is a scripture verse that you absolutely need to write down and put on your refrigerator or put up on your mirror, and you need to look at it every day, and you need to believe it because it's God's word, God's truth, who is the, 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 that's the final authority in our life. It's God's word that is the truth. It's not oftentimes what we think about ourselves. It's the truth. And we need to have a little truth therapy uh, today. Sadly, too many people who are going through an identity crisis of some, si of some sort. Why, why, why do we call it a crisis? What, what is a crisis? Well, I looked it up. A crisis is any event that is going to lead to an unstable and, get this, dangerous 
situation affecting an individual. Not knowing myself leads to instability and danger? You bet. In, in fact, I believe that we're talking the difference between life and death here. I really do. Our society as a whole has a huge identity crisis. As seen by scores and scores and scores of people who are on some kind of drug of some kind. I mean, it's, and what's sad is that many Christians don't even know who they are or who God is. Or what they are capable of doing as, as believers. We've been studying Moses the last couple of weeks. And today we're going to look at his identity crisis. We're going to take an x-ray of his uh, problem. And I think we're going to find out that it reflects a pretty predictable model that all of us uh, go through when we face an identity crisis. All of us. If you look at your bulletin, I've laid it out for you. I call it the identity crisis model. It first starts like this. We have questions. Who am I? And who are you? Now, if you're not a Christian, that would be, who am I and who are you as my friend? Or who are you as my spouse? Or who are you as my boss? Who are you as another person? Can I trust you? Can I trust you in a relationship? But we're going to go one step further with this, this question and talk about who are you, God? Who am I and who are you? Now, if you have any questions as to whether you, whether you understand yourself or not, if you have a question as to, to who your identity is or who the identity of God is, guess what happens? We start feeling fear and doubt when we don't understand definitively who we are and who God is. Fear and doubt. It's been said that the greatest determinant of overall health, that would be mental, psychological, emotional, spiritual, physical, the greatest determinant of overall health is knowing who God is and knowing who we are. And I believe that with all my heart. Now I want to look at our passage and I want to see this identity crisis model played out. Look at what Moses said to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That wasn't a good enough answer for God. I mean, for Moses, by the way. And so he goes on and he, and he says to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall, I, what shall I say to them? I mean, Moses was struggling here, folks. 
And so we start off with the very first question of our model, and that is, who am I? Who am I? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of, 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 of Egypt? What was he really saying there? He was saying, I don't have what it takes. I, I, I don't know why you would pick me, of the millions of people that are living on the earth. I, 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 don't, I don't know why you're picking me. Because, I mean, I've blown it in the past and all I am is a sheep herder and and I really don't, I mean, I don't speak well. I, I don't know why you're picking on me. And that's kind of how we feel about ourselves. Now, picture this event here for a minute. Moses was second only to Pharaoh at one time in his life. I mean, second only to Pharaoh. I mean, he thought he had it made. I mean, I'm somebody. I'm important. If you would have asked uh, uh, Moses' identity uh, back then, he probably would have thought that he had it all sewn up. Well, I'm second only to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's my dad. Okay? And, uh, and I'm powerful. I'm important. And stay out of my way. Okay? And, but, but it all ends, doesn't it? When he kills an Egyptian. And so now he, he hightails it out of Egypt. And now he's a fugitive. He's on the run. Now he's tending his father's father-in-law's sheep in Midian. And he, and he leads the sheep from one small grazing area to another. When he comes around the corner and all of a sudden there it is. The burning bush right in front of him. A bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. It's got fire, flames in it, but it's not burning. And, and out of this bush comes a voice. Moses. Was that a good imitation of God? I don't know if it was or not. You know. But I don't know what God's, you know, would sound like in that. But, but that, that sounds like what he would sound like. Moses. Now, Moses was absolutely terrified. I don't know if you've ever been terrified in your life. I know many of us have been really scared. But to be terrified, I can remember as a kid that I would have these bad dreams and I would cry out for my mother and, uh, and I, couldn't, I couldn't say anything. I'd go, and we had bunk beds and my brother was above me. And so I take my feet and I go, Poosh, and I say, Joe, call mom. And so Joe would be, Mom, Jackson, you know. And so, that, and, and that was a common routine when we were when we were children. I had a condition called dysphonia. Okay, I couldn't talk because I was so terrified from my my dream. That's probably what Moses was like. He was like. Couldn't, he couldn't probably even talk at that moment. But God calls Moses to go back to Egypt and to be an instrument of Israel's freedom. Now, bam! Here comes this identity crisis. Here comes this fork in the road, the moment of truth. Everything that he had been feeling for the last 40 years is now suddenly brought to the surface. 
Here he reveals his inferiority complex and feelings of inadequacy. And he asks the simple question, who am I? Who am I? And you know what, folks? Who am I is the central question of life. I mean, we do define ourselves with the answer to that question. And many times, the answer to that question reveals a whole lot about how we understand ourselves and how we understand God, really. It, it, it re re reveals our spiritual understanding. Now, there's, there's several typical answers to that question. Who am I? Well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, Chuck Tipton. Okay? I, I define myself by a, a label, my name. Now, a name's important. There's nothing wrong with a name. But does it completely define who we are? Absolutely not. Or I may answer that question by saying, well, I am my work position, or I'm my social status, or my position. For example, I might say, well, I am a pastor. I am a, a chief operating officer. I am a mechanic. I am a librarian. I am a teacher. Now, that's an honorable position, but it really doesn't adequately define exactly who I am. It's merely the role that I play in, 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 in my journey, in my life's journey. I've played several roles. I've been a school teacher. I was a music teacher in the public schools. I, I've been a pastor. I've been a financial advisor selling stocks and bonds. I've been an administrator. I, I once went to an interview and, uh, and I gave the person my, my resume, <laughs> and they, they took one look at it, and were going, you don't know what you want to do in life, do you? I said, oh, no, I know exactly what I want to do in life. I like to live a well-rounded life is what I like to do, you know? Well, you certainly got to do, you're certainly doing that, that's for sure, you know? Anyway. Did those roles define who I am? Did the teacher role define me? Did the, did the uh, administrator, did the financial advisor? Which, which one defined me? Well, all of them played a part, but as a whole, none of those defined really who I am. Or we may answer the question by saying, well, I am my life's experiences. You know, there's a lot of people who define themselves as the sum total of all the experiences that they've had in their life. Well, I was abused. I made some wrong turns in my life and, and, and met wrong people and hung out with the wrong people and even married the wrong person. I, I, I also made some choices uh, by taking drugs and I did this and I did that and you know, they start listing all their wrong decisions that they made, and they think that they are the sum total of all those wrong decisions. And so at the end of the list of everything that they've done wrong, they come to the conclusion, I guess I'm a loser? Is that where you're going with this? That's where a lot of people go with it. 
I, I've just, I, you know, I'm just nothing but a, you know, snake's belly. I'm lower than a snake's belly. That's all I am. Because I'm the sum total of all my decisions. Is that really who you are? No, it's not. It's not. Or we may answer by saying, I am my thoughts. I am my intellect. I am the smartest guy in the room. I am wise. I'm beautiful. I'm this. I'm that. There's many people who have been deceived by that kind of thinking. And it results in a denial of the soul. The truth is, you are a combination of a lot of different things. Your experiences, sure, play a part in all that. But it doesn't fully define who you are. But you have to add in the presence of God into your life. That's part of who you are as well. Now, let's see how God answers Moses. Moses said, who am I? Who am I? Here's what God said. But I will be with you. I will be with you. So he patiently answers Moses' question. He promises that he would never be alone, that God would always be with him. Years ago, my daughter Mary dated a, a police officer, and he was, he was great. I love this guy. Um, very soft-spoken, but he was also tough. At, at the same time. Well, Mary worked as a barista at uh, Starbucks, and she had a, this very rude customer that would come in every single day and, quite frankly, harassed her. Said derogatory things every single day. Every day, I heard this from my daughter. More and more and more. And, you know, I tried to keep my cool, but I was, I was you know, I was getting kind of mad that this guy was doing this to my daughter, you know? I mean, I wanted her to handle it as an adult, but then I was kind of protective, you know? Well, one day she comes home, and she says, uh, she says Dad, you're not going to believe what this guy did today. I said, what? He re I, mean, he, I asked him about whether he wanted to buy a coffee on his debit card or on the, his Starbucks card, and he reaches across the counter, and he pokes me in the forehead like this, and he says, duh, wake up. Okay, that's it. I'd had enough. So I go to Starbucks the next day. And I park myself right there at a table close to the, close to the cashier. Now, I wasn't stupid about it. I took the police officer <laughs> boyfriend with me. <laughs> Smart, huh? Okay. So, now, I took the police officer, uh, you know, boyfriend... And he was all dressed up in his police outfit, you know, the gun, the whole nine yards. And, and so he sits there with me, okay? Now, I wanted him to go with me, to, quite frankly, to hold me accountable. <laughs> really, seriously, to hold me accountable, make sure that nothing got out of hand, make sure the other guy didn't get out of hand. But I just wanted to say something to this guy that I knew what he was doing, and I didn't appreciate it at all. So here he comes in, and my daughter was going, you know, so I, I, I knew who it was. So he passes right by me, and I stand up, and the police officer stands up, and, and I basically just said, you know, sir, um, see the girl over there? That's my daughter, Mary. 
And I understand that you came in yesterday and you said some derogatory things and you poked her in the forehead with your finger. Is that true? And he takes one look at me and one look at the police officer and one look at me, one look at the police officer. And he goes, oh, well, well yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he starts stuttering like Moses. Yeah, it was me. I, I, but I was just kidding. I was just kidding. And I politely and but firmly said, well, that's just never going to happen again, is it? Oh, no, 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 sir. No, no, sir. That's never going to happen again. Now, I want you to understand that this police officer that was with me, you know, I have to admit that I, I not only wanted him as a witness, but I wanted to ensure that nothing, like I said, would happen out of line. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Having him there as a backup helped to establish my authority at the moment and gave me some confidence. Well, in a much, 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 much bigger way, God was saying to Moses at that time, Moses, I'm with you. I have got your back, son. Remember when you were second only to Pharaoh? That was practice. That was, the, that was the rehearsal. Because now you're going to be second only to me. You have my authority. You are the one that I've chosen to lead the Israelites. And when you're saying all the things to the Israelites, guess what? I'm going to be standing right there next to you. Right there next to you. Just like the police officer was with me. I have chosen you to lead the Israelites, not by yourself. I will be right there. You are my man for the hour. That's who you are, Moses. That's who you are. But then comes the second part of the identity crisis model, and that is, who are you? Who are you? I don't know who you are, God. I really don't know. Moses said, God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, I mean, the God of your fathers has, has sent me to you, and they, and they say, what's his name? What, 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 what am I supposed to say? What should I say to them? The, the real question that Moses was asking was, what or who would be my authority? What would order who would be my source of authority? I mean, actually, the truth of the matter is that God had already answered that question before it even came up. Back in verse 6, he, uh, he answers the question. And he, and he, and he, and he reveals to, to Moses before this passage that he was the covenantal God of the past. He had made a covenant with Moses, Moses' fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the burning bush, he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, that made Moses stand up straight. He was talking Moses' language at that, at that moment. You're the God of my fathers? 
This is who's before me is the God who spoke to my fathers. You're the God who, who promised land to us. You're, you're the one who said that our descendants would be as numerous as the, as the, as the dust of the ground. You're the God who declared that you would, you would promise, you would make promises that would extend to future generations and, and that all the, 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 the nations of, of the world would be blessed through us. You're, you're, you're that God? That's who I'm talking to here? And you can just hear God in the bush going, mm-hmm. Yeah. That God. And so Moses, all of a sudden, came, his reality, you know, set in, and, and, and he fell to his face, and he was afraid to even look at this God. I mean, this was God's way of telling Moses that the past had already been dealt with. Look, I have spoken to your fathers. I have spoken to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I have made a promise that extends to you. I've taken care of the past. That's already done with. And you're a part of now that, that all those promises are being fulfilled in you. That was, that was something I took care of in the past. See, that's a message that we need to hear, especially when, when we're thinking about our failures and the, and, the, and, the, and the things that we do in our life that we mess up on. God has already taken care of that in the past. For us as Christians, God took care of that 2,000 years ago on, a, on the cross through Jesus. Your sins, your failures, your, the, the, thing, the, the bad mistakes that you have made. I, God is saying to you, I've already taken care of that in the past. Think of those failures. They don't limit you. They don't define you. I mean, seriously. Your failures define you? Your setbacks, your poor decisions are more powerful than God? Is that what you really think? You, you think that you're all washed up? Well, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ. You are not washed up. God uses those failures, those times to enhance and improve your ability to live in this present moment if you will just surrender to him and surrender all those failures to him. You remember the hymn, Grace, Grace, God's Grace. Can we, can we turn the keyboard on just for a second? Let's sing this. Let's sing it. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that you'll pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all. My sin. Let's sing it again. 
I love that song because I grew up with that song. Because, and what a, what a foundational truth that is. That it doesn't matter what sin that you have in your life. Grace is greater than that sin. Get used to it. Get used to it. This is called the normal Christian life. Is what this is called. All right. So he's the covenantal. He's the promising God of the past, but he's also the compassionate God of the present. I mean, I, I, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, this is God talking, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know, I know their sufferings. You know, a construction crew was building a new road through a rural area, and they were knocking down trees as they were progressing in the superintendent of the project noticed that in one of the trees that there was a nest. And so he climbs up and, and looks in the nest. And sure enough, there were some little birdies in there chirping away. And uh, he didn't want to chop down that tree. Even though they needed to do it, he didn't want to. So he marked the tree. <laughs> Don't chop this one down. All right. So they worked all around that tree. Didn't chop it down. Well, a few weeks later, he comes back. And he gets up into the tree, and he looks, and the birds are gone. The fledglings had grown up, and they flew off by themselves. And so he tells his guys, now you can cut the tree down. Well, as they were cutting the tree down, the nest falls out of the tree and rolls out. And so he was looking at this nest, and inside this nest was a piece of paper. Okay, a little piece of paper. And so he gets the piece of paper out, and he just opens it up, and he starts to look at it. And you'll never believe what was on that piece of paper. That piece of paper had the words, He cares for you. He cares for you. Now let me tell you something, folks. If God can care for those little birdies, He is going to care for you. He is going to care for you. He understands your needs, and he's going to care for you. Remember the passage of Scripture in 1 Peter. Cast all your cares upon him, for he what? Cares for you. He cares for you. I have a feeling that God, in, in his miraculous way, puts it in the heart and mind of that superintendent to not cut that tree down because he was concerned about those little birdies. He is the covenantal God of the past. He is the compassionate God of the present. But there's one more. He is the final word of the future. 
Look what he says. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Hmm. I am so glad that God has taken care of my past I am so glad that he can take the darkest part of my life, my ugly past, and, 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 and just take care of that. I'm glad that he cares for me in the present. But you know what the good news is? He's got the future sewn up. He has got the future sewn up. And the truth that I find very helpful in this in this whole idea is this. Never let your past failures or your future fears rob you of present joy. Folks, let me tell you something. <laughs> we have a tendency to live in the past and to worry about the future. Live in the past Worry about the future. Live in the past. Worry about the future. Bing, bang, bong, bong. We go back and forth between the past and the future, past and the future, past and the future. And we never, ever enjoy the present. Uh, let me encourage you today to live one day at a time and enjoy one moment at a time. Live one day at a time. Enjoy one moment at a time. Knowing that God has your past all sewn up, he's got your future all planned out. So live in the present. Enjoy the present. So Moses asks these two questions of anyone who faces this identity crisis. He says, who am I? And he says, who are you, God? Now remember from our model that when you question who you are and who God is, the first emotion that comes along is fear. Fear. Look what happens. What if I fail again? What if I fail again? In chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, we're not going to go through all that, but in chapter 4, you can read it for yourself. Moses' fear really comes out. Remember God said, you know, stick your hand in, pull it back out. And it was disease, put it back in, and it's, and it's okay again. And, and he told Moses that, you know, show him that kind of stuff. And also show him that, you know, you can turn water into blood. And, all. and he gave him all this power to do all these miraculous things to prove his point down in Egypt when, when, they, were, when they were questioning him. But, but you see, he, he, he begins to get afraid. You know, what, what, if, I, what, what, if, what if they don't believe me? What, what if they don't listen to me? What if, what if, what if they're, not, they're not really affected by all these miraculous signs that I'm going to, to be doing? I mean, fear was gripping him because he was so afraid of blowing it again. So afraid of blowing it again. You see, this is where we're at a lot of times. We have made a mistake, and we don't want to make that mistake again. In fact... You know, we, we're just paralyzed by, by our past, and so it's hard for us to move forward. You know, 
I don't, I've heard it said that Moses' motives were pure when he killed the Egyptian. I mean, he wanted to do the right thing, but it got out of hand. It got out of hand. He was protecting his, one of his brothers, one of his kinsmen, but it got out of hand. Were his motives pure? I, I think they probably were, but his methods <clears throat> were, were wacky. And it did get out of hand, and he killed this person. And I'm sure that this failure was something that plagued him daily. And when you can't get over your failure, you have no hope for the future. You just, you just don't. Because you're so stuck in your failures. That's always at the root of our fear of our future. And that is our hopes are dashed upon the rocks. Has anybody in this room been there before? Am I speaking to anybody? Maybe you're there now. You feel like you have no, no hope because of wrong decisions. Well, can I, just, can I encourage you today with these statements? Number one, everybody fails. Everybody fails. You know, they did a Harvard study, you know, and it was repeated by Yale and a few of the other Ivy League colleges, you know, they repeated the same experiment. And they came out and they, 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 they found that human beings fail 100% of the time. <laughs> That's a joke, folks, okay? The human beings fail 100% of the time. Nobody's perfect. I, I like the story of, of, of Babe Ruth because, um, you know, Babe Ruth was one of baseball's all-time home run kings at one time. Did you know that he was also the all-time strikeout champion? <laughs> I mean, he struck out almost twice as much as he had hit home runs. And, and he knew that he had to risk striking out in order to hit those home runs. And, and when asked for the secret of his success, you know what he said? He says, I just keep swinging at him. I just keep swinging. I know that I'm going to hit it eventually. There was no secret. He just kept doing it over and over and over and over again. Number two, realize that failure is not final. Moses once was a prince. Now he's a shepherd. He was once famous. Now he's forgotten. His life was full of promise. Now life seems destined to end in failure. But folks, Moses' failure was not final. And your failure in life is not final. When you think that you know more than God does, and you pronounce the judgment on your life, well, you know, my failures are final. Let me tell you something. You are coming into Direct conflict with the truth of God's word. It, you think that you know more than God does. And that's nothing short of arrogance, folks. When you think that you know more than God does. Moses' failure was not final. He had a future and so do you. Recognize the benefits of failure. There really is a benefit, folks. Moses may not have been chosen to be Israel's deliverer if he had not failed. See, God, I think, was preparing him in two different ways. 
Number one, he was preparing him to be a leader by putting him in Egypt. That was good training. But then God needed to have a leader who was not just trained in leadership principles, but who needed to be humbled. Who needed to be humbled. And God used the mistakes that Moses made to humble him out. Humility is what is so needed in leadership. So needed. Besides, we know that in all things God works for good to those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. All things, and that includes your failures, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that our failures are good, but God can take our failures. He can use our failures to bring something good out of them. Failure both educates us and it makes us less judgmental. So in some ways, failure is good. In a lot of ways, failure is good. And finally, the second emotion that comes out of our identity crisis is doubt. I'm not able. Look what Moses said. Oh, 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 my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses had come to believe the, the very lie that, that resides in the church today. In fact, I think it's one of the most common lies in the church. He believed that he did not have the talent to do what God wanted him to do. He didn't think that he had what it took. But he did have what it takes. Through God. God's answer to Moses is the same answer he has today. None of us in our own strength has the talent or the ability to accomplish everything that God wants in our lives. But God does have the strength. Remember that our Christian life isn't just about God standing next to me everywhere I go. From what I understand in Scripture, when we become Christians, the God of the universe comes to live inside here. Inside here. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that Jesus lives his life through me. He's accomplishing his purposes through me. That is so important, folks. So, I want to leave us with some principles today. Principle number one. God wants to use all of us in spite of our weaknesses. For when I'm weak, I am strong. Principle number two, God wants to balance self-confidence with God-confidence. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things. It's good to have self-confidence, but that self-confidence needs to be balanced out with a God-confidence because God is the ultimate one who is the authority and the power in my life. Principle number three, 
God wants us to be able to overcome the negative results of rejection and become men and women that he can use to achieve his purposes in the world. Get over yourself. This is not about you. It is about him living his life through you. For God gave us a spirit. He gave us a spirit. It's inside of us. Not a fear, but a power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Principle number four. God wants to use our failures. Use our failures to prepare us to face greater challenges. He wants to use our failures. God is not the God who says, oh, I'm just so, so ashamed of you. Just get away from me. No, he's going to use your failures if you will simply take them and deliver them at the foot of the cross and say, here, God, here's my failures. Here's my life. Here's my mistakes. Here's my sins. Do something with me. Make those failures count for something. So my question to you is this. What is your Egypt? What is God calling you to do? Believe me, he's calling you. Are you listening? Are you listening? Know who you are in Christ. Know that God is the God of the past and the present and the future. Stop letting fear and doubt rule your life. God is bigger than any obstacle you can face. And I close with two scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And finally, remember, be strong and take courage. Do not fear or be afraid for the Lord will go before you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can trust you with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. Lord, we do acknowledge you and we trust you. And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you want to cut through the identity crisis in our lives and live your life through us. Move in a powerful way in the hearts of people today. Change them, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.